We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The 68's after dark. It's not quite dark, but um, we, we just finished a, what we thought was going to be a huge game. Uh, instead, today we found out that the newest number one team in the country is the defending national champion, Baylor Bears. Uh, we'll have a visit from Bears point guard, James Akinjo. We'll talk about Purdue, the now former number one team's recent struggles. And also, with the two guys I got here with me, we, we can't not talk about the crappiness that is the ACC. Uh, <laughs> I welcome in former Wake Forest guard, Randolph Childress former NC State guard, Archie Miller, uh, to – but let's start, guys, with the, – the big one was the heavyweight matchup, right? I mean, Baylor-Villanova, culture versus culture in Waco, and instead we get a complete dud. And how surprised were you, Randolph, watching this game that it was never a game between Baylor and Villanova? Baylor just absolutely blasted them in every which way. I was shocked. I mean, we, we knew both teams would defend and we knew both teams would compete, but but 36 points, in, you know, in a game, you expect that in a half from Villanova, if not more. So I, I I didn't expect a high scoring game, but I expected a more competitive game than that. I, I didn't think anyone saw that coming. Arch, what what surprised you the most? For me, it was Baylor's defense, to be honest. I mean, they lose Davion Mitchell. They lose Mark Vidal. Those are two of the best defenders in the country a year ago. And honestly, it looked like Villanova could not dribble. Like Jermaine Samuels could not dribble in this game, and he wasn't the only only one. Gillespie couldn't get a shot off. Um, it, it looked like, honestly, it was it was like a mid-major opponent. It looked like a bye game out there, Arch. I mean, their defense is smothering. I mean, it really is, and it's startling – I think when you really watch them uh, over and over, how athletic and their size across the board is just so overwhelming. You know, really, they play with two small guards at times, but pretty much from that point forward, their versatility, their length, their size between Brown and uh, Sokan, the two freshmen. I mean, those guys have just sort of not only fit in, but they brought even more talent. Um, on the floor than, than, than they had. Mayer, six foot nine between Thamba and, and their bench and whatnot, just, but their, their talent level and their size across the board, uh, when you start dealing with their length, um, they're smothering. And Villanova, 
you know, as a team that really uses the dribble and the post-up game isolations, um, they really just didn't have have the ability to go through or by Baylor today. And uh, I mean, their defense was uh, incredible. They held them to 22%. And um, all those numbers are obviously, you know, probably historic lows, you know, for Villanova. Yeah. I'll give you some. I mean, the final score is 57-36. Uh, like you said, Villanova shot 22 from the field, 22 from three. It was the fewest points and the lowest field goal percentage in the Jay Wright era at Villanova. Uh, they were held under 40 for the first time since 1979, Villanova was, and 36 points tied for the fewest by a top 10 team in the shot clock era. Uh, Baylor's now 9-0. and They've beaten Nova three straight team times. I, I saw it two years ago. I was at Myrtle Beach in, in what I thought was the best game of the year. And Baylor ended up winning the Myrtle Beach Invitational by beating Villanova. How about this? Here, here's one that's crazy, and it shows you how dominant this Baylor team has been over the last couple of years. They are 30 and one, um, or 31 and one in their last 32 games. The only loss coming against Kansas, if you remember last year when they came out of the quarantine, and they yeah. had like 10 yeah. guys yeah. Yeah. get COVID. So they weren't themselves. I mean, they've been almost flawless. For the last two years, like to me, the biggest shocker again, the defense and how they've been able to rebuild in Waco. Scott Drew, this isn't Kansas, this isn't Kentucky, this isn't Duke, Carolina. I mean, when you're ranking the top programs in the country, not in the last two years, but just take it, take out of the equation what they've done, and you say, like, jobs that you would want. Where do you, where does Baylor fit, Randolph? Uh, you picked the words right out of my mouth. I, I don't think Rake it really high. I've been impressed with the way he's been able to get transfers down there. There's so many other factors that come into play uh, in getting them down to Waco, Texas. I, there's a, there's, it's not in anyone's top 20, but he has been, you know, arguably the top program in the country, you know, the last three, you know, a couple of years and definitely over the last year. And right now, the, the, I, I haven't seen the team be as dominant as they've been all year. Hey, they if are. they don't cancel the NCAA tournament a few years ago, they may have they may have won right. it that year. Exactly. I mean, that, that's that's the reality of it. You know, Villanova is the culture program, right? Like right. that's the right. one everybody else is measured by right now. They've won two titles in the last five tournaments, but I think you can make a case that Baylor is right there with them because, like you said, they could have had another one. They they might have been favored or right there with them um, a couple of years ago. And, and I tweeted something. I, I'd love to know your guys' both opinions on this because you're both kind of old school. Right. And Art, you, you were like an old school coach, but, you know, you're younger, but, but you, you know, your dad <laughs> certainly coached you in an old school manner, you, you and Sean. Randolph, I know you grew up, you know, you're, you're about my age, so you're kind of old school too. Scott Drew coaches differently, guys. He's our age. Right. He's 50, 51, but he coaches with, like, kindness in a way, right? It's positivity. Glass always half full. I said, like, guys like Billy Clyde, and I call him Bully Clyde Gillespie, um, should have to spend a week down there with Scott Drew and understand that you don't have to be an asshole to, to coach these days. And I think there's different ways of skinning a cat. We know that. But Scott Drew's way – certainly has worked and it's not a mf or i'm gonna jump you every day i'm gonna tear you down to build you back up 
What, what do you think of Scott Drew's kind of the, the way he's, he's coached these kids? I just think like at the end of the day, however you coach, um, you know, you can't be one way some days and one way another. And when he was probably at the very, very beginning of Baylor and things weren't very good there, he, at some level, he was the very same person. And right. uh, I don't think he's changed a whole lot on the, on the exterior as he's had a lot more success. I think people are paying a whole lot more attention, but he's always been a great recruiter. Yeah. He's always been well-liked. And I think at the end of the day, how he coaches his team is, is, is him. And uh, when you're authentic that way, it's very, very hard to uh, ask questions. It's very, very hard to, to nitpick. That's, that's him. And, um, you know, I think if you would research him as a person all the way back 20 years ago, it's probably changed from a basketball coach perspective on how he does things. And, but as a person, I'm, I'm assuming um, that Scott's always probably been pretty much the same way. And I think, you know, the authenticity um, plays a big part in, in how your guys respect you. I think any, anybody that, you know, older in their fifties or late fifties, it doesn't matter. I think if you, you cannot coach the game the way we were taught and coached. I think everyone understands that now. And, and, and he's sticking to his personality. There's still fiery guys out there that are, you know, that are still the same, you know, they're still sticking to their personalities. But when you're that way, I used to always say, guys, if you're coaching them hard, you got to love them hard. And so if you're loving your guys and they know it, and you're tough on them, that's fine as well. As long as the players know you really care about them. You just can't show up in between the lines that two or three hours at practice and then scream at them and think they're going to respond. But the way he's doing it, it, it obviously reflects to, to this generation of kid because they're, they're transferring down there. Uh, it's not one of the top 20 cities by any stretch of the imagination, but they may be the program. And like you said, Archie, if it's not for the, 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 the uh, missing the tournament, you know, year or so ago, then, you know, they could be the back-to-back defending champions. No question you know, about the, it. The crazy thing is, too, I mean, you lose four starters from last right. year, right? You, you, you've got a new team that you expect. I was down there in the preseason, and Scott was even telling me, like, it's going to take time for these guys. All the returning guys are in completely new roles, right? Whether it's Matthew Meyer, whether it's Adam Flagler, a Presbyterian transfer. Yeah. Um, Ken Joe's brand new. We'll, we'll talk to him about that uh, here in a little bit. Uh, and then you bring in the freshmen. And one of the freshmen, Langston Love, is out for the year. And he right. was like a top 50. He's, he's a highly ranked kid. Yeah. So I, there's not enough superlatives to be able to throw Scott Drew and Baylor's way. And I think a lot of it also, guys, and, and you guys can speak to this. And, and Arts, you and I have talked about this a little bit. Staff, how important it is to have a staff. Jerome Tang has been there for 20 years, basically since he got there. Right. He's brought in high character guys, workers. The one thing that, that always was said about Baylor. Now, one thing that was said early when they beat you for a guy, I heard it all the time. They cheated because right. nobody could lose to Baylor for a player without saying they cheated. And the one thing that everybody kind of learned over the years was, OK, you know what? These dudes work their ass off. They absolutely no work their ass off. No question. Look at the success that his coaches have had upon getting jobs. I mean, you know, it's not as if, you know, they roll the ball out there every day and just say, Hey, let's go recruit good players. And, and uh, we'll just coach them up. I mean, number one, 
their transfer guys aren't coming in many ways from, although James is from Arizona, he may be a little bit of an outlier. Some of the most highly successful guys they've had have come from UNC Asheville, Presbyterian, you know, whatever it may be. And I think they dedicate to skill development. I think they dedicate the year off that those guys had heavy in, into making them better and they make them a part of what's going on. Clearly their practice environment and what they do every day brings out the best in them because you don't play the way they play. You don't practice light and play hard. It just doesn't work that way. And then, you know, I think, you know, he does have a great staff. You know, Jerome's been there for every day that he has. Um, he's had a, a staff that's had tenured guys for five, six years. And then guys who have left them, if you just look what they're doing at the programs that they're at now as head coaches, having a ton of success as well. So there's there's more in, in the bag than just, you know, hey, recruiting and whatnot. They, they identify guys. They make them better. There's clearly an environment there they believe in when they're there every day working at it. And now uh, I don't want to say it's running itself, but I, I think guys coming into Baylor right now have an expectation of how you do it. And, you know, winning um, is, is the byproduct of it, but no question about it. I'd add this, Archie. You know, we always say this, and you just alluded to it. It's when we're coaching and we're coaching it, we're leading it is one thing. But when your players start taking control of that team, right. you're taking off. You're, you're really good. Anyone that's coached that has a really good team, there's a standard and a culture that your players are setting the tone for, and you best believe it's happening at Baylor right now. I would imagine now he's probably identified his captains and, and coached those guys, and they're just running. Man, I think they're, you know, not to say they're in cruise control like they're not hey, playing hard. You, you know it as well as I do. Rand, Randolph, you know it as well as I do, man. The other thing you can't take for granted, and Villanova's, a, you know, obviously another example, they just won the whole thing. Yeah. I mean, when you have players on your team, that have advanced in the tournament, have won in the tournament, have literally, they, they cut the nets down, but like, you just can't put a price on that type of experience slash uh, momentum confident. You know what I mean? I mean, you know, whether, whether you know, it's, it's Mayer improving or Flagler being in those games last year, man, it, there's a lot of weight that carries for those guys advancing the way they've advanced in the last few years. They're, they're used to winning. They know how to win. All right. So who, who is the number one team in the country right now? Is it clearly, I mean, we've gone through Baylor. it now. It's Gonzaga in the preseason. I'm, I'm going to go, I'm going to just put it this way. Baylor is a clear cut. Number one, they probably could have been coming out of arguably could have been up there after they won the Bahamas, but you got to go Baylor one and I'm going with Alabama. Number two. Ooh, interesting. Alabama number two, even though they lost to Iona earlier this year. I tell you one thing, they've had two of the most impressive yes. wins I've seen. I haven't yes. seen a team with those two type of wins that they've had in the past 10 days or however many it is. I mean, to do what they did, go all the way out to Seattle and put it on Gonzaga the way they did. And then that game last night was a war. I mean, that was an absolute war last night. And for them to come out with that, that type of a win back-to-back um, -back weekends, I don't think anyone's had a week or at least two statement type wins. And you know what, Iona, you know, um, you know, maybe that's what they needed. But they, they, they have got an unbelievable team right now in terms of where they're at in the last week. I can't argue yeah. that. I mean, going to Seattle and, and, and winning there, no one wants to do that. And then to come back and play <laughs> Houston, absolutely nobody is looking to schedule Houston. Like, no, like, no, no nobody's one. looking to schedule Houston. You already know. That's one of those teams, it, when Samson calls you, like, man, get out of here. Like, I'll see you in a tournament. 
That's but one of those even, ones where you you you, you debate <laughs> if you should go play them neutral somewhere. I mean, right, right. You don't even want to. You don't even want to be right. on their side unless you have no to turn them in a bracket, yeah. MTE, let alone you know scheduling them in this part of the year when you're in the SEC. So, uh, kudos to those guys. I think they're the top two teams as far as the competition that they played and losing the losing the, to, to the coach Patino isn't a bad thing. Many 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 have, have failed. Yeah, don't be surprised if he doesn't yeah. beat a few more people, you know? Yeah, yeah. It wouldn't surprise me if he gets a one or two in the tournament. You know, he just gets it done. But Alabama's been – Coach Oaks has those guys going. They've been outstanding. Yeah, the only other team I put in there that I think lays a claim is, is still Duke, right? I mean, they go to Vegas. They beat a top-five Gonzaga team. Um, and I know they, they lost to Ohio State and Columbus. It was a few days later. I think, honestly, I don't want to say that was poor scheduling. But I think they lost their so legs. The, as Randolph knows, the ACC yeah. challenge is a pain yeah. in the ass. Yeah. Mean, it's a total pain in the ass. It yeah, doesn't it matter where you are, what you're doing. When you have that draw, you know you're going to have some type of uh, a really hard turnaround. I mean, you just yeah. are. You you actually want to schedule your MTE somewhere on the East Coast because if not, you can't. You yeah. don't know where you're going to be. That's the brutal part. I remember years ago we were in the uh, we were out in LA, and then had to travel to, to play Penn State. You know, so it's like getting in Death Valley was like a, was a nightmare. We actually had it, it was just brutal. I don't even want to describe the trip to you guys. Yeah, it's a hard deal, it, really it, it, hard. Deal. Who you play because you got no control over whether you're home or away. You know, any ACC, you know, ACC Big Ten Challenge, and then you get a game like that. But the one thing about that about Duke is, like we said, they don't play many road games. True road game, but that was a true road game, and that matters with a really young group of guys as talented as they are. They still have to get some some true role games. Yeah, no yeah, question. I, listen, I, I think right now we kind of went through it a little bit. There's a tier of probably eight teams. I think that are that are kind of in the top tier right now. I would now. give you. I would. I, I think. Joe, I think you can go ten teams. I think you can go ten deep right now, and feel really good that there's about ten teams that could legitimately make claim to a Final Four run or, you know, a successful deal. I I got Baylor, Alabama, Duke. Yep. And then I would put Arizona and UCLA in the top five right now. And then I would give you Kansas, Purdue, Houston, Villanova, and USC um, as another five. I think those 10 teams. Did you mention Gonzaga? He did. He did. Okay. Those 10 teams, Gonzaga is in there obviously as well, but 10 or 11. That's 11 with the the Miller math. I would go, yeah, put put Gonzaga in there as well because that's obviously an easy one. But I think those teams right there, have established who they've played, who they've beaten up until this point, that any of them could make claim to being, um, you know, an upper echelon team right now. But I, I think Baylor, and I would say that Alabama, and looking at it, Arizona's off to an unbelievable start with yep. what they got going on right now. Duke is Duke. I think UCLA is UCLA. Kansas has been great. Purdue. You know, that's a tough swing for them to lose a lose the game they lost the other day and then find a way to win in overtime today. That's that's a sign of a good team. And Villanova's good. I mean, say what you want to say. They've really tested themselves as well. But I think USC, I mean, I'm just stating the fact I would not want to play Houston. After watching those guys play in that environment last night, I would not want to play Houston. No, they're one, they're one controversial call that we'll get into in a little bit from going to Tuscaloosa and beating a really good Alabama team. So I'm with you. This probably I don't think I put USC in that equation yet, Arch, but everybody else I'm good with. Everybody else, I think Randolph, anybody that he forgot that you would throw in there? 
you know what? I, I, I don't know if I see a Big Ten team yet that I'm ready to put in there, right? I, if I had to guess, I mean, what, outside of what? I, mean, I don't know who else we're going to get out of Big Ten. I, I thought at one point in time, I thought Connecticut, but I don't know. You know, I mean, they've kind of, uh, you know. It's, well, they're it's, hurt. They're hurt, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They got to get healthy. And so I don't – Wisconsin I, I was coming around, and so they, they yeah. just got bashed by 20. And so Michigan State's Michigan State. What You know, Auburn, we don't know how they're going to respond. So right now we got to – we got – they're in that next tier of team. So I don't think Archie's kind of forgotten anyone. I mean, Tennessee maybe. They just, I just – there's a couple of times that Tennessee's really had, you know, some tough days shooting the ball, man. I mean, it's, they're obviously very good on defense and they're good, but, you know, you watched them play against Texas Tech. And then I, I think the, the other game that they played was in the Mohegan, right? Yeah. They struggled mm-hmm. in the Mohegan on the one game. Yeah, they got yeah, so They just had some days they didn't shoot the ball real well. I just feel like all these teams have both sides of the ball covered. They can beat you if they have a bad day on, on O. And if the other team is, you know, you know, they could have a they, – they can win a lot of different ways. Like, you just watched Houston play last night, and, I mean, the rebounding, um, the, the, the offensive rebounding in general, I mean, yeah. it's – you're not going to see that every night. You know what I mean? That's part of their part of their, their deal. But um, it's, been, it's been a good non-conference slate. I mean, it really has. Guys right. have been tested, and there's some teams probably that haven't played as strong as schedule, but um, – you know, I think you got about one more, two more weeks here before you start conference play that it's going to – you're going to have a pretty good idea in January where you start. Now, there's going to be about five teams uh, that come out of nowhere here in the next couple of months that get hot and young guys get better, whatever it may be. All right, so but Tennessee at least defends. I think they do. I think they defend. They do, yeah. It gives you a chance when you're defending. But, again, you know, now we're getting out of the cupcake schedule. A lot of people have scheduled cupcakes, and we joked about it off air. but. Some teams like, you know, like Dayton, you didn't want to – came out of nowhere. You don't want to play right now. You sure as heck don't want to play Houston. But now you're going to get into conference play, and no matter what conference you're in, it's going to be pretty tough for you. Conference play always just kind of settles down. And I always felt like in conference play, regardless of what you did in the non-conference, you kind of have your way of playing against the teams in your yes. league, and you kind of know. So that's why sometimes when you get in the league, some teams start to settle in. And they start to just like get better because, you know, a team like Michigan State, they may have some ups and downs, but when they get in the league play, they know what they're doing against you. They know how to play against you. Same with Purdue. And I'm sure, you know, in the ACC, there's some teams in the ACC that may be a little up and down right now, but they know how to play in the league. So sometimes the league settles you in. So we, we were so high on Purdue as recently as a week ago, right? A week ago, we're sure, saying they're the number one team in the country. They got those two big boys that you can throw in there and, and Edie and Trayvon Williams. Jay Navi looks like unstoppable when he wants to be. Um, and they lose at the rack to a Rutgers team that was without Geo Baker. And then they probably should have lost today against NC State. I mean, they were down they 10. Yeah, they were down 13. 10 with two minutes left. 13, yeah. And they ended up winning in overtime in Brooklyn. Ivy goes for 22. You know, listen, Zach Eady played 12 minutes. He was productive in the 12, but it was it was Trayvon Williams. 22 points, 12 rebounds, yeah. nine assists, guys. Nine assists. Yeah. He is their best passer, which is a great thing and a scary as hell thing for me right. because I worry about their point guard play. I do. I worry about their point guard play and their defense. 
although Trevion was really, really good at Mohegan Sun guarding, I, I still don't know. Uh, Sasha, okay defensively. Jaden Ivey can be elite when he wants to be. But here, here are the numbers. Isaiah Thompson, 15 minutes today, zero points, two assists. Eric Conner, 30 minutes today, two points, zero assists. Against Rutgers, they combined for six points and one assist. That scares the shit out of me. Yeah. You know, here's the thing with Purdue. Um, you know, I think that, number one, uh, I've been in the rack. Okay, you play at Rutgers right now. That is a very difficult game. Okay, and Coach Pichel's as good as it gets in terms of having those guys ready to go. He's a great coach. They have some guys who have won some games in there. They know how to win at home. And if you'd have told me before the game started, hey, Purdue's going to lose to Rutgers in the rack tonight, that wouldn't have surprised me. You know, on my own experiences being in there, road games are hard, especially in league play. But I think what you saw today is probably a little hangover coming off that disappointment. NC State has a great recipe against Purdue with the way that they play. It, it really what is goes. Arch? What is the way? The what I mean, Randolph will tell you, Kevin does a yeah. good job. Number one, they're very athletic and they're very yes. talented and they can pick you up full court and they yes. can mix whether it's man or whether it's zone. They rhythm, they break your rhythm. And Purdue is a rhythm team on offense who wants to run their stuff. They want to execute. They want to call their plays. And NC State immediately puts a halt to that. They slow things down. Their point guard has to really handle the ball and get them in stuff. Or he doesn't even have the opportunity to bring it up at times because they take it out of his hands. So that's step one's breaking a rhythm. And I think, you know, the other thing in the half court they do, they, you know, they got length, they got talent. You know, they can get in passing lanes. Purdue struggled early dealing with their, their, their speed and whatnot. And in particular, I think in the backcourt, their backcourt gave them a lot of problems. Um, but, you know, to me, Purdue, best two players on Purdue's team showed up today when they needed them the most, Travion Williams and Jaden Ivey. And if you told me who's going to be first team all conference, it wasn't going to be Zach Eady. It's going to be Travion Williams. It's going to be the guys that have been there at the end of the day. If Zach Eady has a great go thing going, which means they have the ability to get him the ball right around the rim all the time, and he's doing work, he's going to play. When that's not happening, Travion's going to play. And I think they also had – I think Purdue showed their depth. They played a lot of combinations today trying to figure out the game, trying to get a group in there to kind of get them going. And right there at the end, they had Eric Hunter in there, they had Ethan Morton in there. Um, Travion was in there with Edie and at times Gillis, but he tried a lot of guys, and I think they got good contributions from – a lot of guys that maybe wasn't a lot of points, big steal here, whatever it may have been, but Purdue weathered a big week. They had a hard loss, probably didn't go home, went right over to Brooklyn. Um, and NC State was a prime team to give them problems. I thought NC State would give them problems with the way that they play. I think you're right about the distance. I mean, they stayed in Jersey. They didn't go home. That's an unusual schedule. These kids have been on the road for a long time. The other thing I think we got to think about is being number one is different for Purdue. They've been good but they hadn't been number one, right? And so everybody's gunning for these guys at number one. And like you said, NC State is different because for Purdue to be a traditionally big team, they play, they play really, really big. NC State is small ball, one through four. They're taking you off the dribble. They're going to put you constantly in ball screens. So whether it's Edie or it's Williams, they're kind of there in drop coverage. You saw Williams come up tonight, get a couple of steals. He hedged really hard, but they're going to be in drop coverage. I thought that was the toughest matchup is they're going to play against with that athleticism across the board, the, 
The point guard play is going to be LeBron tough. is unbelievable as well. I mean, oh, I, I don't want to knock four. Helium, Helium, Smith, Cam, you know, Cam Hayes. I mean, those guys can play. They can take you off the bounce. So you can't hide against them. So I was impressed with Purdue coming out. I think Williams today was the one that impressed me today, not just because it's a triple-double. Well, you can tell they pressured him on the perimeter and they tried to push him off the block. Edie struggled to score when they kind of fought him and pushed him off the block. Williams felt comfortable popping out the three. He's good off the floor, getting to his spots. So he set the screen, catch his ability to score and catch it off the move and pass is the difference for them. So when he's at the five, I mean, he's a nightmare. He's, he's going to be a tough out. Hey, he was first team all conference a year ago. And I know right. he's, he's settled in this year to give Purdue a chance, you know, to, you know, as their coaching staff has probably put it to him, this gives us the best chance long-term, you know, to be the best that we can be. And you know what? He accepted that, but I'm, when the money's on the line, he's, he's playing. in the game. He's playing. Right, well, listen, guys, we've got a, a special guest coming on here now. Uh, it is none other than uh, the leading scorer in the game with, with a 16-point performance. <laughs> 16 leads the, the game when you're, when, when you're in a defensive battle like this, and it is uh, a Baylor point guard, James Akinjo. Uh, James started his career playing uh, – well, he started his career at Georgetown, uh, but then ended up playing for Archie's brother, Sean. So, uh, James, can you, can you hear us? Yeah. We got you. All right, there we second. go. All right, you are yep. live, and uh, you're talking to uh, Archie Miller, who's the brother of your former coach, Sean Miller, yeah. and Randolph Kildridge, <laughs> who scored a few points at Wake Forest back in the day, just a few. You're, just a you're, few. you're young. James, I'm going to tell you this right off the get-go. You don't have the best crossover on this podcast. My man Randolph <laughs> has the best crossover on this podcast, okay? So let's just get that out of the way. Okay, I'll give you one A. You want your one B. He's one A in terms of crossovers on this thing. Archie's three, and I'm I'm like ten. All right, I'm like ten. But uh, listen, what, what was that game like, James? I mean, that game. All we heard about this year, and, and I was down there in the preseason. All right, you lose Davion, you lose Vital, you lose Jared Butler, you lose Macy Oteague. Your defense was better today than it was all last year. How did that happen? Uh, well, we feel like we know we lost a lot, but uh, all of us, we all confident. So especially our guards, uh, we didn't really feel like we was losing much when we, you know, kind of like re-upped and we brought our guards in. And uh, Our team, we take pride in individual matchups. So uh, a lot of what you see on defense is us just playing with our chest, keeping guys in front. Uh, we we, we want to help. We don't want to have to help too much. And so uh, if you keep, you know, your guy in front, you don't have to really do much help. But we got some great athletes, uh, some great communicators, uh, and that's what you're seeing out there. James, the one thing I, w- I would say is, you know, obviously, you know, watching you play quite a bit in, in my time um, over the last year as you transitioned over to Arizona, I know a lot about your game. You had a fantastic year a year ago. Um, mm-hmm. As you kind of came into this situation, did you have to change offensively very much, or can you just be yourself what you're accustomed to doing? Uh, I don't have to change at all. I think a lot of people, uh, they overlook my other abilities on offense. Uh, I mean, I've been in a situation where I had to score the ball, but, you know, me just playing naturally, uh, I'm a point guard. I got a pretty good flow of the game. So uh, I'm not ignorant to the fact that I have 
NBA pieces around me. So every game, I know I don't need to score, uh, but I know it's also going to be some games where I'm going to need to assert myself a little bit more than others. So it's all about, you know, just getting the flow of the game and just playing basketball and being myself. James, when you can score the ball the way you can score it, I, I've been impressed this year with your playmaking ability. I mean, I know you're averaging a career high in assists, but coming into this year, I know you guys had new starters and a new team, even though the standard's the same. I, I was questioning or wondering who was going to step up and be a, that, that playmaking guard, and you've just naturally seemed to, to step into that role. Was that a mental adjustment, or was it just something that you just were never asked to do? Uh. I didn't have to really adjust. I mean, I, I wouldn't ever ask to do that. Like uh, my situation in Arizona, we had a lot of young guys. So I, I feel like I had to score the ball a lot of the times. But and uh, if you put pieces around me, uh, I think people always underrated my ability to make plays. Uh, I've averaged five assists in Arizona. But, like, I think here, I think this is why this is the perfect fit for me because this is the first time I've ever played with, I feel like, you know, NBA talent, like, all around me. So uh, a lot of – a lot of areas in my game that people question, I'm able to just put them on display. You know what I'm saying? So my playmaking is something that just comes naturally. Uh, I watch a lot of film, and uh, I mean, yeah, it's just how about you know, just going out there and playing basketball. So describe what it's like uh, playing for Scott Drew. You know, I, we talked about this in the preseason a little bit when you yeah. first meet him. You're like, this dude for real. Like, you see, always yeah. this nice. What, what's it been like mm -hmm. playing for him and, and just kind of having him as a coach? Uh, it's different than anything I've ever used to. Uh, you know, college basketball coaches, uh, you know, they get into you a little bit. Sean is – he. Me, I mean, Coach Be careful. Drew, I mean, hey, be careful. We got his brother here. So <laughs> yeah. we're play now. That's, that's all right. Coach, Coach Drew, uh, I mean, he'll get into you, but, you know, his energy is just so uppity all the time. And when he was recruiting me, I, I'm thinking it's fake. I'm like, all right, right. he just want to get me here, and then he's going to change. But once you get here, you realize – that's really who he is. And it's every day, like, it's the same thing. And, you know, it's really motivating to have a coach that's so consistent, never too high, never too low, but always itself every day. James, the one thing is, as I look at you guys from a scheduling standpoint, you got a big road game coming up next weekend. You got to go out to Oregon. Then you play two more home games. As you head into conference play, you feel like there's another level that you guys can still get to um, and what would, what are the things that your coaching staff is stressing that's that you need to do to get to that next level, to become a big 12 champ, national champ, whatever it may be. Where, where are you guys focused in right now in the next couple of weeks as you head into the big 12, like what needs to make a jump for your team to be even better? There's definitely another level. Uh, I think that we can get a little bit more efficient in uh, our transition. Uh, offense. Uh, obviously, you know, Villanova plays at their pace, so it's really hard to run. They, they do a good job of getting back, but uh, you know, when we can, I think we can get more efficient. Now we got enough athletes, so we should just be finishing everything in transition, and believe it or not, I think we can get, you know, a lot better on defense. Uh, there are a few times in the first half where they got some good looks, but they just missed them. Uh, you know, I think that our talk and our communication can go to another level, and uh, if we continue to do those things, I think we'll be all right. I don't think anybody expected you guys to be as good as you've been this year. You guys are looking – we think you guys will be the number one, you know, next week. It's, it's looked as good as any team in the country. Has there been any internal pressure of repeating as national championships, something that hasn't been done in – how long has it been, Jeff? I mean, it's been, what, 30? Florida. Florida, Florida right? yeah. Yeah, Florida. Yeah. How long has it been, what, 20? 20, 20, I mean, that's 20 been a long time. It's been uh, a long time. 
It hasn't so, been done often, right? Yeah. You guys got any pressure, internal pressure, feeling that responsibility to try to get back? There's no pressure at all. Uh, last year's team, they were great. They were amazing. But, you know, it's, it's last year's team. Uh, right. uh, we got a lot of new guys. And, you know, me being a point guard, uh, I can't come in and hold on to what they did last year. I can't even think about that. I mean, that's, that's their national championship. Uh, this team, we're a new team. And uh, all we're focusing on is building our own identity. Uh, last year, they did a great job of laying the foundation of what we want this school to be. Uh, we want to take it to another level, make it a program, like maybe a Duke of Kentucky that, you know, attract a lot of people. But, you know, we, we just focus on getting better each and every day. Uh, you can't win a national championship in November or December. So you got to just keep getting better, keep building every game. Yeah, I can't let you go without asking you about your former teammates in Tucson because oh, they man. look pretty good right now. What? Matherin, Tubelis. Yeah. Yeah. And Kirk Carissa has more confidence and swagger. And I know you went up against him <laughs> yeah. last year. You know, these That's young probably guys. That's why he got it. Now. That's probably why he got it. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, you kicked his you-know-what every day, didn't you? Yeah. yeah. Nah, I, I'm I'm loving uh, watching those dudes. Uh, I, I watch them, you know, with a smile on my face. Uh, like I said, I think that their situation is better for them and, and mine is better for me. Uh, but I'm still real close with those dudes. We still talk. Kurt reach out to me all the time. Uh, but, yeah, I'm real happy for what they're doing. Uh, I want them to just keep going and you know, hopefully meet up in the tournament or something. But, you know, I got nothing but love for those dudes. Uh, I'm real happy for those dudes. And, and look out for CeeLo. Uh, I think he's just going to keep getting better and better and better. Yeah. No, I hope you guys meet at some point because uh, you yeah. both have really, really good teams that are better than people thought, quicker <laughs> than people thought. James yeah. Akinjo, listen, good seeing you again. Heck of a performance. If you guys can be better – then you were today defensively. Man, oh, we can do a lot I, I can't better. wait to see it. I can't yeah. wait to see it. So right. uh, good seeing you, man. Congrats on the win. And uh, hopefully I'll see you in Waco soon. Thank Congrats, you. James. Good luck the rest of the way. Luck, man. Jeff, I like that shirt. I got it for you. I got it. I'm rapping. I'm yes, sir. Yes, sir. All right. All right. There you go. Game got 16 points, seven rebounds, guys, five assists. Just one turnover. Talk about a good floor game. I mean, again, just kind of made shots when he needed to. The thing that has always impressed me, first time I ever saw him was at the PGM years ago, his toughness. That yeah. kid, again, Arch, you know it because you talk to Sean all the time about him. Sean loved him because that kid is just so tough. Mentally, physically, he gets after it. And honestly, like, if Sean didn't leave, James Akinjo is still in Tucson right now. He told me that when I saw him in Waco earlier this year. So is Jordan Brown, who's having so a good year. Brown. They had some guys at, at Arizona. Those, those guys were young a year ago. And I think James made a good point. You know, he was playing with a lot of freshmen last year. Right. You know, there's a lot that goes into, you know, every day and trusting those guys and whatnot. But maybe he did try to do a lot more. But I'll say this. Number one, you know, guys from California, tough upbringing. He goes all the way out to Georgetown in the east. You don't see very many guys go west east and be successful. It's hard. He was freshman of the year in the Big East for Georgetown. Doesn't work at Georgetown. He transfers to Arizona. He sits a year. You know, he doesn't, he doesn't come right away and start playing. He has to sit, go through it, practice every day. And then last year he plays at Arizona and he's all conference and leads the league in assists. I mean, and now he's at Baylor. And, you know, I mean, he's at Baylor. He starts at point guard. He leads him in assists. He's on the number one team in the country. He wins. He's a tough dude. He wins. And I think at the end of the day, he was probably an integral part 
to this team in, in in being able to add him to replace all that what they they have. He plays a huge role for Scott Drew. Scott Drew knows what he's doing, and he's playing James a lot, a lot of minutes. So he's a really good player. But he he's a you don't do what he's done come from where he's come from if you don't have a chip on your shoulder. He plays that way. He acts that way, and it's not it's not false. That's just who he is. He's so been that way. Baylor wins. Virginia Tech does not. They lose going to Dayton, which Arch knows you just don't go to Dayton. You just don't go. Like, don't schedule. I don't want to. I don't want to say it to hurt their future schedules, but no, nah, you don't play. <laughs> you don't play at Dayton. You just do not I mean, do it. It's how about how many points? No, is no, that no, no. The difference work? is no, no. Archie, the difference is you play if you're a bye game. You play there this year anyway. If you're a bye <laughs> game. If you're a high major, you freaking run from Dayton. You stay the hell away. Yeah, they've had. A, um, and we were talking about it. They've had an amazing turnaround. Um, as they started the year off, a lot of young guys, you know, lightning in a bottle kind of get, get a huge win, um, against Kansas on the bounce. But I mean, if you're moving forward, um, I agree with you. I don't want to play those guys right now, especially playing them there. Um, I think they got to be right up at the top with, uh, St. Bonaventure and probably Richmond to be contending for the league championship. So Virginia Tech loses today and Florida state loses, uh, in Rock Hill, South Carolina. Those are two of the teams that we had kind of etched in as NCAA tournament teams, probably two of the top five teams in the ACC, along with maybe Carolina and I don't know who else you want, maybe Virginia in the preseason. And now Syracuse loses yesterday to a bad Georgetown team. And now you've got, again, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you two, because you're two ACC guys, try defend your league, defend the ACC boys. Yeah, go ahead, Randolph. You're, you're the guy. Yeah, I, I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, I appreciate. Listen, I, I I wish I could. I mean, I, I like. You know, it's funny. One of the surprising teams. I don't want to sound like a homer, but it's Wake. Now, with their with their non conference schedule, how how do we know their biggest win is Virginia Tech? And we're sitting here talking about how bad Virginia Tech really is right now. So. I, I don't know yet, you know, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm proud. I'm happy for these guys, but I don't know how good they really are because their non-conference schedule has been what they intended it to be was just to get some W's. And so the rest of the league, I, I don't know, guys, like we said, Florida state, I, that's the biggest surprise to me. I mean, they're not defending. They can't score. And I know they don't have the pros that they had, but I thought defensively that, that, that style would always give people problems and they, their length and athleticism, and they're just not getting it done right now. I'm really surprised. They're like five and four right now. I mean, they're, they're, they're just not very good. That's hard to say. You hadn't said that in a really long time about long Florida. Long time. I played – when I was at Indiana, we played um, the COVID cancel year. They, they probably would have been a one seed. They had Forrest, Patrick yes. Williams. I mean, they were as good as it gets. Yes. And then we played them the following year with Scotty Barnes. And same, same – maybe not quite as good – but just right up there with them. And uh, they've had a lot of replacements. I mean, that, that tier has dropped. But like, you know, Randolph, when I was in the ACC, which would have been late 90s, early 2000s, right before you, you would have been on your way out, I was at home watching you in the ACC tournament, you know, when I was in high school, crossing guys over and look at them and all that stuff. But the thing about it is it's always been a league where it's been, it's been pros. I mean, right. the ACC has been pros. It was right. pros when you were there. It was pros when I'm there. Right. And as I look at the league, their talent is down. I mean, it just is. The best two teams in the ACC from a talent perspective this year are Duke and North Carolina. 
yep. and they just are. If you look at the talent on both teams, they're the two most talented teams with the two best players. Onwards down the line, there's good players, but there's just not the pros, the, the, the guys that you look at and you're like, oh, my God, I don't know what we're going to do with this guy. So it's a little bit down in terms of the talent, in my opinion. I said this just on one the other day, and I want to ask you guys this question. I was talking to some friends from the D.C. area, and Merlin actually, you know, got left and went to the Big Ten. I wonder between that, that, that recruiting base and that area is a big hit to the league and the conference and everything, losing it. But I just think nationally from, a, from the SEC football has become so dominant in this that I think the money that has been generated has it helped improve the SEC team's the facilities and everything else oh, to no come question. with. It. So the money from the Big Ten and the money from the SEC from the football no schools question. has helped make the basketball schools better. And not every team in the ACC has been able to keep up with that. Without Obviously, a doubt, 100, I think that's 100, a big yeah. underestimated thing that people don't think about when you think about basketball. But football has generated so much money. The facilities at those schools are just as good as areas in the country. Yeah, I mean. I think, you know, when you look at it, that's a great point. The SEC has had a complete makeover in the last seven to eight years. You yes. look at the, the coaches that have come into the league, you look at the facilities, you look at what's going on, they've had a complete makeover. The Big Ten is very similar, you know, when it comes to exposure, when it's come to resources, when it comes to facilities, all of that stuff. And, you know, I do think that the ACC probably has taken a hit you know, when it comes to the television market, the, the money that's been coming in, the revenue isn't the same at the ACC as no. it is in the no. SEC. It's not close. They not probably even the have 10. the worst television deal out of all yes. the power five yes. schools right now. Yes. And um, I do think that it's probably been a little bit of a cycle here for the last few years, but um, this year in the ACC looks to be a little bit historically down with a low number of, of tournament bids being available. I mean, right. You know, to be honest with you, I feel like North Carolina, because I just feel like looking at their team, they have the talent. Yes. I feel like I feel like Duke and North Carolina will be the cream that sort of rises to the top. Um, I don't know about the other schools as much. Um, you know, just they're going to have to kind of like, like I said, settle in in the league maybe and start to find their niche as they play against the teams that they're always accustomed to playing. But it's, it's an odd year for the league with so many non-conference losses. Well, even Carolina, listen, I was in Mohegan Sun. They played Purdue tough, but then they got blasted by Tennessee. I mean, they look as disinterested and disconnected as you could. Awful defensively. Atrocious. Yes. Soft yes. as soft can be. Yes. Now, they beat Michigan State. That was a huge one. They needed that. But they struggled against, like, Brown, Charleston. They have not looked great. But somebody's got to finish second in this league. And, and you're right. Like, their talent level – Caleb Love is still as good as any guard probably in this league. So hey, you talk about R.J. Davis and Caleb Love. That's a young backcourt, but those two guys are really highly regarded. Leaky Black's been there forever. And then, you know, I think the one thing that's probably a little unique about Carolina is Dawson Garcia and Brady Manick are two skilled frontcourt players, and they're trying to play a little bit of a different way. Um, but, you know, defensively, they're, they're – I think early on you could tell trying to play two bigs at one time isn't easy in college right now. You know what I mean? You're trying to figure that well, out. But Roy would try to play three. Come on. Well, they're going through, I think that's part of it. They're going through an identity change, right? I mean, you're going to those two no around the basket bigs 
where their philosophy was shoot it, go get it off the glass. Well, they've been like arguably the number one rebounding team in the country the last five offensive rebounding team in the country the last five years. They, their right. best offense was shoot it and go get it. Now you take one of those guys out, you put a skill guy in, it changes their identity. They're no longer that, that we're going to pound you athletic group where they're, they're you know, and that's what Hubert's done. And, I, and we got to give them some time for that. But there's no excuse for them with the collective amount of talent that they have not to be better defensively. All right, so who's in, guys? Let's go through it right now. Let, let's. Who's in the tournament? Who's in from the ACC? Uh, I think we all agree Duke and Carolina are going to get in, right? We all right. in agreement there? Yes. I think Duke and Carolina are going to make their way up the ladder here all year long. I think both of them will be fine. Who else? Um, how many? Who, who else gets in, Arch? I have a little bit of faith, and I don't know how Randolph feels about it, but I think Virginia Tech is so old, and I think that, you know, Coach does a great job. Yeah. that I think they'll at some point in time sort of balance out a little bit. You know, they can, they're a good offensive team. They're well coached and they have old guys. I think Virginia tech has a chance to keep going. I don't know if they've done enough in the non-conference, um, you know, and other than that, um, I haven't seen a ton of them as much, but, you know, number one, you have Louisville, you have Virginia, you have Syracuse, all three of those teams, um, have had non-conference losses that as they enter league play, they're going to really need to step it up. They don't have like the benefit of the doubt. Um, NC State, um, Notre Dame, Clemson, and Florida State, they're probably all in the same boat where I don't know if they've had enough in the, in the deal. The, the, the key, the key one will be, honestly, Randolph said earlier, is can, can Forbes at Wake Forest continue to kind of keep going? Um, I don't know if their non-conference is, is strong enough. I think before it's all said and done that the ACC will find a way to get five. I don't I know. Think five, I think five. five would be a number. I think Louisville is a team we got to add. Yeah. I, I would think say Louisville North Carolina, Duke, Louisville, Virginia yeah. Tech. And I'll go, uh, you know, maybe that, that fifth team. I'll just put NC State in there because I like them better than everybody else because that's where I went to school. Well, I, and let's be fair. I mean, being honest, they blew an opportunity tonight to get that shit to win that would have yeah. rewarded them they, late. If, had they, they pulled did. that game out today, and I felt like they'd have crept the night to Purdue, if they closed today's game out, would have gone a long way for their confidence and everything. But that would have given them a signature win, whether we're, if they're on the fence late, that could have propelled the committee to get them in the tournament. Right now, they're back to square one with that. Yeah, they have one more game against Richmond, which is an important game. They'll play that neutral and they have right state at home. Other than that, they're going in the league play. And I think you got to look at the rest of their schedules, you know, as well, Jeff. You know, Louisville right now had a tough one against DePaul the other night. They really had a tough game. They have at Western Kentucky and then at Kentucky. Now, a lot of people will kind of look at Western Kentucky, but that game at Western in the EA Diddle Arena at Western Kentucky for Louisville, that's not going to be easy. And then they have Kentucky. So, Louisville really has to get these next three. I mean, they need to get these next right. three to find a way to, to, to get ahead of, of water. But I think it's a five-bid league. It'll find its way, but maybe. At you know worst, who's going to make it, four. guys? You know who's going to find a way? Virginia. Ooh. Somehow, Virginia. Tony Bennett's going to find yeah. a way. I just can't yeah. doubt him. Right. This but there's so bad. bad. Jeff, they're like, so I know bad. not good. They're so bad offensively, and it's right. so tough to watch. They're a team that can – they're a team that will beat – they'll beat Duke. They'll beat a Carolina. Yep. And like we saw, they should have lost to Pitt. Right. 
Like, like, like that's just who they'll be this year because they can't rely on anybody to consistently score for them. But we know they're going to play hard. But I'm like you. If I had to say they – just for – You know, the other, the, other team, the other team is very hard to count out by March will be Syracuse. The only I just problem have to, I have – I just have to think at some Syracuse. point they're going to they're gonna kind of get a little better on defense. They are, and they're going to beat teams because when they make shots, they really, really make shots. When they look good, they look great. And when they don't make shots, they're a disaster. First half against Georgetown, I mean, they were clearly the better team. I mean, they were the better team in that first half against Georgetown. But the thing about it is, I don't know how you control it, how you get better at it, uh, but their zone, you can score a lot easier on them than you ever you ever have in the past. Yeah. I know they can score, but typically that zone can really – I mean, it can be a hard deal. But teams are scoring on their zone. I think right they'd now. be good. Listen. The two kids, he's got his two sons. They've seen that damn zone since they came out of their their, their mother's womb. Like, come on, they should know. <laughs> they don't about. have the they don't have the athleticism and the rim protection that they've had yeah. from for multiple right. positions over time. I mean, we talked about it before. They need to have Benny Williams and Samir Torrance out there playing to give them some athleticism in the zone. You couldn't skip the ball against that zone. It was really hard to reverse. I mean, I used to always say, "Hey, we got to put a bigger guy at the top of the zone." So he yeah. can reverse it because if not, he, you'd have to be at the logo to reverse the ball against the length of that zone at one time. I mean, it felt like it. And so um, now it's they just not as good defensively. But again, they're like Notre Dame. If they're making shots like they did against Pittsburgh, I mean, like they get against Kentucky, like Notre Dame did. Those are two teams that can beat anybody because they're going to be able to put five guys on the floor that can shoot the basketball. It's yeah, going to be a, it'll be a really interesting um ACC season to see if they just all kind of muddle their way through and beat each right. other right. or if somebody can like take, take that next step and get up two or three games. But I'm going to say that Duke and North Carolina are going to be clear cut the two best teams in the league. Yeah. And we can't, and we can't forget Florida state too. Like, like, like they, they yeah. don't have the pro guys, but from a culture, we've been talking about culture of Louisville and Baylor and these programs, Florida state has that culture too. And I can't believe that they're just going to fall off that much. I think they're going to creep up and be one of those five. I had to say Louisville and Kentucky, Florida State and South, would be those two other teams to add in that five after Carolina Duke. Yeah. All right. Let, let's uh, let's flash back to last night. Late night game. A lot of people probably didn't even see it. They probably saw the highlights this morning when they woke up of Alabama's win over Houston. Controversial. Houston goes in, standing toe-to-toe with an Alabama team that a week ago went to Seattle and, like we said, beat Gonzaga. Two straight weekends that uh, Nate Oates is kind of on on center court, uh, so to speak, uh, against a big time team. And at the end of the game, shot goes up and controversial play, whether it's goaltending or not. Uh, J.D. Davidson, who might be the most athletic dude in the country, by the way, he goes up and he hits the ball. And is it in the cylinder? Is it not? Well, the refs do not make a call. So, therefore, because they don't blow their whistle, they cannot review it. Now, I'm texting last night with a couple of the best officials in the country, and they're saying they should be able to review it. They need to change that, uh, that rule so that the official doesn't have to blow the whistle to be able to review it. You can review a play like that. Now, as it turns out, I think they made the right call. I agree with you on it, too. I, I thought I thought it was the right call. I, I thought it was more so a guy just hit the ball in the air. I didn't think it was over the rim. But w- watching the play, I was so impressed with what J.D. did. He went up above the rim and got it off the vertical. 
Yeah. I mean, he was literally boxing out and no running start, just comes in and goes off the vert, knocks it away. I, I was really impressed with his he's a freak his sense of play. Like yeah. he's a he's an athletic freak. Yes. I tell you he one thing, popular. I mean, you all three of those perimeter guys that Alabama throws out there when they're coming at you. Yeah. I mean, I thought Quinterly from a from a pace perspective, he may have had about as fast as a push in that game as a, I've seen a guard get downhill in terms of north, south, 80, you know, 75 feet with the ball. They got a three-headed monster out there that can just barrel into you. And uh, I thought the game, I mean, at the end of the day, if, if you or I were sitting on the Houston bench and we saw the play live, we would have lost our minds because you're trying to win the game. But I thought the referees made the right call. Um, it was a you know, tough, tough to watch Houston come out of the timeout and have to take that that shot that they took. You know, the right. shot that they took coming out of the timeout was tough. The offensive rebound was right there. Kid made a hell of a play knocking the ball out, out of bounds or whatever it may have been. But I don't think the officials had anything really to, to – I mean, they didn't make the call, so there's no reason to look at it. But I didn't think it was a goal 10, you know, after watching it. If you're on the floor, maybe you have a different feeling. But – it was a hell of a game, man. Those are two warrior warrior teams, man. Those two teams right there will go at you, and they don't really care, in my opinion, who you are either. I mean, I think that's what both of them have going, going for them is that identity. I mean, listen, if, if you saw it after the game too, I mean, Marcus Sasser was kind of go, trying to get to a ref. Uh, Kellen Sampson was out of his mind. And, and then, I don't know if you guys saw it retweeted earlier today, but Jamal Sheed, um, he literally is picking up the trash on the yeah. floor yeah. after all this happens, yeah. like one of the classiest things I've ever seen. Everybody else is losing their mind. And maybe that's Jamal Sheet's way uh, from Houston of just kind of, you know, compartmentalizing it or, or, or selling whatever it was. I couldn't believe it as I was watching him literally for like 30 seconds, pick up all the trash on the ground and throw it away in the, in the garbage. I mean, it was – I didn't think it was goaltender one. I, it, you don't want to lose a game like that. It would have been a heck of a win for those guys. Neither team deserved to lose. I mean, it was a hard-fought, tough game. But, you know, again, he, I, I also don't want to see an official blow his whistle at the end of a game to decide a game at that at, at match. I mean, you can you – let's put it, it on the other end. You would have lost your – Oaks would have lost his mind. Can you imagine the other side in that arena oh, and those fans oh, if he'd have blown the whistle and called oh, a goal? Yeah, I mean, every trash hurt. can in the building would have been thrown on the floor at that point. <laughs> Are you kidding me? There's not a ref in the country that's blowing the whistle on that one, making that a – Hey, she wouldn't, uh, wouldn't have enough time to pick up all that trash. <laughs> <laughs> that's very, very true. He would not have um, had enough time. Couple couple scores before we uh, we check out and we'll preview one game tonight. But uh, Florida Maryland, um, they're a deadlock right now, thirty three all. USC tied with Long Beach State. How about the Fighting Dan Munsons are uh, are, are battling uh, USC? Um, we got a big one tonight, boys. Well, I don't know if it's big, but it, it it's meaningful now, uh, not just because uh, our boy uh, Dagan. Uh, is a Seton Hall guy, but we got Rutgers coming up the big win against Purdue yeah, uh, yeah. against Seton Hall and Kevin Willard, man, like the job Kevin Willard has done with this Seton Hall program, he cannot get enough praise. And I keep saying it like he's got to be in the equation for the Maryland opening. Like if, you, if you're Damon Evans, the AD at Maryland, he's got to be on your short list, doesn't he? Oh, without question. I mean, Kevin's a, Kevin's a big game coach who's done an unbelievable job at, at, at Seton Hall. And, um, you know, this year is no different. He's built a great culture there. He's guys with a hard edge. 
But Kevin doesn't get enough credit, I don't think, for the way he coaches. I mean, he can beat you a lot of different ways. They're very good on offense. They run good stuff. Defensively, they're very tough. They can press. They do a lot of different types of things. From a style perspective, Kevin's style would work at Maryland great. Uh, from a recruiting background standpoint, I mean, he's in the East. And, you know, Maryland's going to be built on the Mid-Atlantic with the DMV in the East. But Kevin should, you know, Kevin, to me, is one of the best coaches in the country. If anybody wanted to talk to Kevin, it's a good idea. I think his personality fits the job as well. You know, I'm, I'm cheering for Danny, you know, knowing well. I just think Danny's is placed in a tough situation, uh, you know, not being there in the past and then Turd right. stepping down and he's stepping in. He's not as he's having to learn his players as he's trying to navigate this difficult situation. So I'm really cheering for him, but uh, I'm hoping they get the game today and go a long ways. I got my fingers crossed for him. But again, a guy like, you know, like Kevin is, is, is a personality fit for the DMV as well. And that's going to matter because for the Maryland to get back to where they want to be, I think that's one of the things that have hurt them in Georgetown is that the talent has gone elsewhere. And that's been one of the better, talented, most talented areas in the country, if not the best. And uh, the players are leaving there going elsewhere. And, and whoever has, who's at the helm of that job needs to be able to retain the talent. Yeah. 7.30 tonight, uh, Rutgers, Seton Hall. I got a message for you, Arts, from John Fanna. He says he, he's drunk in the Newark River, ready for tip-off right now. <laughs> he's ready to go. He's probably drunk, no shirt on. It's probably 22 degrees out there. And, and Fanna is going out of his mind, ready for the big uh, Rutgers-Seton Hall matchup. I mean, I can only imagine how how heated up he is right now getting ready for that game. That's going to be a tough game for uh, – uh, is a tough game in general, but um, – Playing at Seton Hall is going to be hard for Rutgers tonight. They're still yeah. down. Geo, they're still down. Geo Baker. Yeah. Uh, but Coach Piker will have them ready. They take a lot of pride. Uh, that was a big win the other night. They should have a boost of confidence. But um, at Seton Hall, with what Seton Hall has done up until this point, um, Seton Hall's got to have the edge in that game tonight. All right. Well, listen. Uh, thanks to everybody for joining us. Uh, thanks to James Akinjo for jumping on. Arch Randolph. We're, we're off tomorrow night. Uh, field the 68 after dark but tuesday we will have john fanna on and um we'll also have a pair of former pit panthers uh arch's brother sean and ashton gibbs so they can commiserate on their 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 alma mater and how <laughs> crappy they are they can all do it together and maybe fanna can brag a little bit if seton hall takes down Rutgers tonight so uh, make sure you join us tuesday night thanks again field the 68 after dark we'll see you soon